Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And surprise, surprise, it's another huge week. We have massive news out of the industry. Board Riders brand, now ABG brand, now Liberated brand brand, Ruka has just lost six of its most high-profile surfers. We are going to talk about the who and the why. We're also going to talk about the first episode of our new season of East, that's the Electric Acid Surfboard Test, with Sean Manners, and it is a doozy. Following that up is another new series, or season, rather, that we're putting out. It's Red Bull No Contest, and this first episode goes to San Francisco. It is fantastic, and we're going to talk about everything that goes down there. Then Buck is going to make an argument against a regionalized QS tour, and I'm going to fight him back. Last but not least, we have eight surf comp jobs that don't suck. It's a piece by Paul Evans, and you will not want to miss his voice note. So, let's drop in. Mikey, we're back. We sure are. You never left. <laughs> no, I feel like every week, Thursday come, comes around, and I'm like, oh my god, how is it time to record the podcast already? Like, every week there's been so much surf news and like things going on that i'm always at such a scramble to be like oh my god we have to like i need my notes for this what are our five topics and here we are again i saw that realization arrive to you on slack hours ago you did you just it looked like it was maybe like 7 a.m your time it was just messages like oh my god it's podcast day already and i was like yeah welcome to thursday it was like 3 p.m in europe i'm like yeah no it's, it's definitely that fuck well there's so much going on should we just get straight into it let's start with a Banger? Can I still say that? Is that what kids say? Let's start with a no cap. Six high profile surfers turned down Ruka contract renewals. Mikey, you wrote this one. Break it down for us. I mean, the title kind of says it all, really. It's one of those ones where, yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's definitely more info inside the story, but the big story is that Noah Bestian, Billy Kemper, Asher Pacey, Connie Ellis Stewart, and Legend and Manu Chandler, they had deals on the table from Ruka. They were the same as their previous deal, cash-wise, and it was a one-year deal. And this is really interesting because this obviously all comes back to the board riders abg liberated brands thing i know it's confusing we've talked about it at length so i'm not going to go into it but basically some of these people on on these board rider brands were getting contract renewals some were not these were in the the lucky 50 percent we could say who did get contract renewals from ruka and they said no and the thing that makes that really interesting is right now we are in a surf sponsorship recession like nobody's saying no to money or deals right now even if it's less than their previous deals like we even know a lot of the quicksilver people they're taking deals for basically a 50% pay cut. These Ruka surfers were going to get 100% of their previous pay, and yet they said no. So something bigger is brewing here, Buckley. Yeah, I mean, you said the title says it all. Does it say that, uh, where in the title does it say Pat Tenori started another brand? <laughs> because I missed that. Yeah, well, the thing is, we don't, that is what it seems like. It certainly is. We don't have full confirmation, and because we are a highly esteemed journalistic organization, we can't put that on paper yet, but everything is pointing to that. We could put it in sound. This isn't... People can't screenshot this. <laughs> it's true. Well, okay. There's definitely more to come. I will say that. And actually, interestingly enough, it's right now Thursday. I'm going to be talking to Billy Kemper in a couple of hours. He posted something on his Instagram today that was uh, interesting, to say the least. And he basically sent it to us. And he's like, you guys might want to see this. And we're like, whoa. And he's like, let's do an interview. So I'm going to be hopping on with Billy shortly. I may even include a little bit 
a little bit of it in this segment, but at the time of recording this podcast, we don't know what exactly is going to be shared there. So it could be that this story unfolds even further uh, by the time that this podcast goes live. There's like five people in the surf world who just, who just like usually stabs like, Hey, can I, let's do an interview. There's like five people who just go the other way, who just like reach out to me and you're like, let's do an interview. <laughs> They're mostly from a, a rock in the Pacific ocean. Uh, <laughs> But what a power move. I saw that in the DMs. I was lurking our DMs, hitting up QS Warriors, which we'll get to. Um, but that's awesome. I'm sure you're going to learn a ton from that. This is huge. Like this is There's a reason why this is the number one story. We've been talking about the Border Irish thing for a while, and we've been saying for a while that it's going to not end. It's not just like, hey, you know, now this day passed and everything is set, locked in place. Things are still going to change, so... This is a really interesting one. I'd say this is the biggest update on that front we've had in a while. It's clear that something big is happening, so let's stay tuned. Yeah, and um, this also brings up my favorite comment of the week on the site. It was by Slipped Disc, and it was in reference to the Ruka team, which is now disbanding to a certain degree. But he said, Billy Kemper and Oscar Langborn on the same team was truly a balance of opposites. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's sad to see that that breaking up, but, um, you know, the future is here, and we're moving on to things that are maybe bigger and maybe better. Maybe. And, hey, one more thing on the uh, on the Bordars front, something that I just saw this week, too. Uh, Mackenzie Bowden has left Quicksilver. He's on Rourke now. I've also noticed that he, I'm on his Instagram page right now, and he's always been good at just kind of making funny clips, and like most of them have had something to do with surfing. Like we even used him for that that guy series where he just would take on different personas. So he's got a German girlfriend, and spends a lot of time there now, and I think he's kind of just like he's leaned into that insanely well. And he did something in the past week that got 465,000 likes. <laughs> That's just about like walking your dog in Germany. <laughs> and if you look at his page, it's fucking hilarious. He's like, it must be kind of validating, you know, like stepping out of your surf world and then making like something that actually goes off in a completely different just in Germany too. It's fucking hilarious. So good for him and good for Rourke picking him up. I'll see him. He's around now in Portugal, so I'll get the story there and have a little update next week, maybe. Sounds good. And for now, let's either move on to the next segment or hear from Billy. Ooh, yeah, fun. Choose your own adventure. I sleep at Pat Tenori's house when I'm in California. Like, that's the founder of the brand. That's the guy who, like, you know, approves the contracts. And without him there, like, I, I was asking, so who's the leader? Like, who's the guy here? Because, like, without a leader... There, there's no tribe and with no tribe there's no culture there's no community and that those are things that like i want to be a like a, a solid impact to a tribe that's under a good leader and when i look at the big picture you know there's like a real leader in this industry and that's pat tenori like pat is the definition of that pat can surf pat can skate pat can fight he can he's creative he he does everything he does design marketing fashion like he is the ultimate when i when i describe pat tenori i describe like it, it's it's not pat's network it's his network you know the most powerful tool in this industry pat tenori is creating something that um that's really going to shock the world you know i think it's just going to bring back a lot of love and uh support to this community that's lost a lot of that like you know 
there's still really cool brands out there that are really pushing hard, you know, to try to, to try to rise during such a hard time. But I think with his network and just the way he, the way he works and the people that he's able to pull together, he's got something up his sleeve, um, that I'm going to be flying the flag as high as anyone in a really positive way to impact our community, our culture, and, you know, most importantly, our sport. The Electric Acid Surfboard Test with Sean Manners. Episode 1 has arrived. Wow. So I I don't know why, but I kind of had a, like this idea in my head that Sean Manners had messed with alternative boards a bit more. Like, never really saw him on one, but I just kind of figured he had. It becomes quite apparent that he had not uh, in, in, in the opening scenes of this film. I love how his... So, we lay these boards out in front of him. And his way of, like... I think we all have different ways of framing, like, how attracted you are to a board. And he drops this line of, like, I wouldn't really ride any of these boards for a year. And I'm like, well, yeah, a year on a board is like a big commitment. And as he's checking them out, he downgrades it to, I wouldn't really ride one unless I was borrowing it from a friend and I couldn't drive to the beach (laughs) to go get my, or drive home from the beach to go get my own. Um, And then he goes out, tries a bunch of them and fucking rips. So it's, I think he's really a, a, a fascinating test pilot for it. Like he's such a, kind of what's the best way to frame it you know jack robinson just reads the ocean really well always finds himself in the best waves i feel like sean manners has a bit of that they're both from the same region they're both just like really tuned into the ocean and yeah i think he's a great fucking test pilot well okay do you think he's a great test pilot because he's ripping or because he shows what i think the normal person's experience on boards like this might be i think he's the best test pilot because one he grew up around surfboards his dad's a great shaper Two, I think for this project, I want to see somebody who doesn't have that experience. And like I said, in the back of my mind, I had this feeling that he had. It became apparent that I was wrong there. And three, I think it's like reading the ocean in and of itself is a skill. I think he's really, really good at that skill. Like it's one thing if somebody's just really good at, right? Like, like I don't think Italo would be like crazy good at that skill, right? He's really good at just moving a surfboard around, but I don't think he's like, that good at picking the right waves and really figuring out lineups quickly. I think Sean has that. And he's also really good at riding waves. And he's also struggling on some of these boards. <laughs> well, to me, it's like you send Mick Fanning, who is like the consummate professional surfer, right? Like even beyond, yeah, he won three world titles. So obviously his cal, but even just like the way he approaches riding a board, it's so like analytical and strategic and formulaic. So you put him on boards that are totally different and he still kind of looks like himself. Whereas Sean to me is more of like a feel surfer. And so he's going out there and like, kind of just trying to adapt to whatever the fuck is going on beneath his feet and watching him try to figure out how to surf like a seven foot twin fin (laughs) in like pumping bells is just so funny you can just tell how uncomfortable he is but like he he really wants it to work and he's like trying different things as he's going but it's just not and it's yeah I because that's what I feel like I I test boards and like there are so many times where the first time that I ride it I'm like where am I going and these are all boards that are like more or less normal 
to so to see it at like such a scale where we basically told shapers to make the weirdest thing you've ever made something that we've never seen before and then yeah put it under somebody's feet who's more i think of an artist than you know an athlete and it's just it makes for great view i mean i think he looked more dangerous to himself and those around him on the lovelace at, at <laughs> then he at bells than he does at like eight foot narlu like that to me he looked yes. he looks like he was in more danger <laughs> there than and he charges and i think that was like the most worried about him i've ever been i've been like oh my god don't do that man you're gonna get hurt <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed watching this and also just how candid he was throughout the entire episode. And he said it from the beginning, like, if I don't like a bore, I'm just going to ditch it. And he did not pull any punches. Um, and honestly, like a lot of the boards that he wrote in this first episode clearly weren't for him. There were a couple where he like really clicked with and it was obvious. And that, that made it even more appealing because you could just tell that, uh, the experience was very true. Like he was just really telling what was going on because you could see it with your own eyes as well. Um, so I don't know. I found it really enjoyable. It was the first time actually his Instagram is bad manners. It was the first time I've ever seen Sean have bad manners because every time I've ever been with him, he's just like smiley and jovial the whole time. But when it comes to surfboards, probably because of where he grew up with his dad shaping all of his boards, like he takes it really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But I do feel like he also does a good job at like when he's riding off a board, you know, how if you say something like no offense, then it it gives you complete (laughs) doubles the offense. Well, no, you get you get to say whatever you want after because you said no offense, so it's fine. So he's like, no offense. He's like, I'm sure this person tried and they're great, but no offense, but like this board fucking sucks. <laughs> so you get you get off the, you know, you you get out of jail there. So this episode he tries the Simon Jones, Ryan Lovelace, Neil Purchase Jr., Josh, yeah, <laughs> Ian Byrne, and Kobe Hughes. So get to it. Plenty more coming two weeks out, these things are, yeah? Yeah, so we're going to drop them fortnightly to use um, an ancient or Such Australian word. Term. Yeah, uh, We're just trying something new with our little it's release video schedule. video game. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> All the kids like Fortnite. <laughs> That's what we're going for. So anyway, the Fortnite ep- audience. episode one is out right now. Like Buck said, we have six boards shaped in there or tested in there. This all happens at Bells. The second episode is going over to New Zealand. We're basically chasing a storm, which is um, it makes this east unique. Like it's really mobile. And um, yeah, they're chasing a storm from Bells, then over to New Zealand. And we're going to finish on the east coast of Australia. So it happens really fast. It's really intense. And um, ultimately, we're going to end up with a winner. So episode one is out now. Episode two will be out in two weeks. Ooh, I got to get one more thing in there, though. I feel like as, maybe Australians see Bells and Winky all the time. They're like, yeah, whatever. But as a non-Australian, somebody's only visited that region once. It was really fucking cool to see those waves firing. Like, I feel like nobody serves them for projects, and they are, like, for this project, it was, it was great. So that was, like, I, the, all I ever see of Bells and Winky is a surf contest, and it's kind of the same surfing every year, other than Kelly did the air the one time. And so that was really cool. I know we're moving on. Another thing that's always the same in surf films, it seems to me, is narration. Used to always be Ashton, and now, you know, we get a little bit of Danny's great at it, but we have a new voice for this year's electric acid surfboard test and only the real ones will know who it is but if you're a true stab fan oh, it's so good get amongst it it's so good <laughs> let's get them on the program one of these episodes
Red Bull, no contest, trots to San Francisco's thick skin and big heart surf community. I'm going to go subhead too here. 49 dizzying square miles encompassing America's most eclectic underground surf scene and peak technological innovation. Wow. Red- and Ashton Goggins' second home. And Ashton Goggins' second home. That it wasn't. You couldn't fit that in. We have limits on how long the titles can be. Mikey, you know that. Anyway, No Contest is here. We are joined by Ian Walsh, Jamie O'Brien, Izzy Gomez, and we eat sourdough bread in San Francisco. Do you see that part? I did. I did. Do you like sourdough? I love sourdough. Have you served Fort Point? I... Did I serve it? No. I just judged it in uh, in Highway. Have you made a barrel at Ocean Beach? I have made a barrel at Ocean Beach, yes. Not on the outside bar, though, so it doesn't really count. Have you looked Lewis Samuels in the eyes? Have I what? Looked Lewis Samuels in the eyes? I have never met Lewis Samuels, sadly. Okay. Have you been to that bar, Pitts Bar? I haven't, no. But I went to an Irish bar last time I was there and got um, drunk under the table by this Irish mobster slash boxer slash street bike racer. Was it Will Styles? <laughs> it was not Will Styles, <laughs> narrator of Electric Acid Surfboard Test. But um, this episode of No Contest is it's the first in our new series, in our new season, I should say. And it is by far the best one that I've ever seen. Like the, the level of quality, like production quality that goes into this and storytelling is truly on a different level. Yeah. Well, like he says in it, like you called out. He considers it his second home. He moved there 10 years ago and clearly fell in love with the place, clearly built the community for himself there. And so I think when you have something that's like in your, in your, a place that you know so well, like you really, I think you really get the sense of that in this. Like it's not just somebody in other no contests, which are also like the rest of the season, we've seen some previews. They're all going to be great. But I think when somebody really knows it doesn't really have to research, it's all intuitive and they just chase, they already know who to talk to, where to go, the stories to tell. It's fucking, it's really well done. Like it, this was sick. It pulled and all the footage they pulled for it too. Like just good surfing that occurred when they weren't there. It was like, I like to pretend that the wave that I live in front of, it's like I just live in like a big open beach break town. It gets big and offshore, and I'm like, that's like Ocean Beach, and I try, and it's just not good. <laughs> but seeing Ocean Beach firing is so sick. I love that wave. And I swear, is- when it's good there, there's nowhere you'd rather be in California, I don't think. And what I especially love about Ocean Beach is like, even when it's perfect, it's such a working man's wave. Like, it's not one of those spots where it breaks in the same spot every time. The same people get, you know, all the good set waves. Like, it's truly democratized in the sense that if you want to put your time in and paddle out that three-mile-long beach, like, you can find your own peak and you can get, like, that hero wave. It actually, it's similar to the beach that I live at in Costa Rica where it feels much more like man versus nature than it does, like, lower trestles where it would be like you're battling the crowd. And I think that it really spawns a different type of character as far as a surfer goes. So I'm really into it. Yeah. I mean, we both just were like, yeah, we wish that we lived at Ocean Beach. I think this episode (laughs) hit us hard, Mikey. I was like, I want to live there and then, like, go get a beer at that bar after and then eat that sourdough bread. It's true. With Jamie O'Brien. It, well, it's funny because I swear, like I said, it's the best place to be when it's on, and then it is the worst place to be when it's not. Like, if you've ever been in San Fran when it's those, like, cold, foggy days, you just want to be anywhere else in the world. I think, um, was it Ernest Hemingway? No, they call it Carl. Who? Well, okay. Carl. 
That's nice. Well, who like else? Uh, it was one of those famous writers, but he said, the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. And I think that that sums it up. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Anyway, great. And then the, the tech parallel, just that being you associate that city with the tech industry, but drawing that arrow from that surfline I thought was really cool. I mean, Marcus is a great guy. And telling his story a bit and linking that up with surfline, I thought it was really well done. So good stuff. Great episode. Great watch. And next week, uh, we'll be rolling out Morocco. There are going to be four episodes in this year's season. Uh, so Morocco's next week. And also, a little bonus for our pod listeners, we're obviously going to keep doing our weekly you know, drop episodes. But every Monday, I believe, we're going to be dropping a no-contest-specific episode. So you're going to be hearing from Ashton and Stace on those, and they're going to break down each episode in even greater detail. So if you've been missing Ashton, you're going to get plenty of him uh, coming up in the next episode that you see drop on this podcast channel. Get your sourdoughs ready. QS Anon, the argument against a regionalized tour. Oh, Mikey, this is mine. All right. Wow, where do we start? Where do we begin? So, the WQS is dead. It's over. It no longer exists. They stole the W from it. It's just the QS, right? We can admit this. I, I've, The WQS was... it kind of made no sense it kind of made the most sense it was weird it was perfect it was ugly um it was very imperfect actually everything was wrong with it and so when the wsl like it's hard they started making changes before the pandemic i think they had some big picture changes in mind that they're gonna sort of ease their way towards and the pandemic came and that gave them you know they had to stop the tour and it gave them an opportunity to just like rip the band-aid off and make some big changes and so when that happened, the biggest one was the finals, new finals format with the single day surf off. But while that was going on, they also rejigged the QS and CS to be just two separate tours, actually. And so far, we've only framed this as a win on stab. To be honest, even though I say this is the argument against it, I'm not saying I believe that argument. I'm just saying this argument exists. And it's legitimately something I wasn't really aware of until recently. Um... But I got to talk to some QS grinders recently, and there is a decently compelling argument against this new system. And so I to break it down, the argument is you have to compete. Okay, obviously, so you compete in your region to win a spot in the CS, and then if you do good on the CS, you make it to the CT, right? So when you're competing in your region, you're competing against the people that you've already been competing against for most of your life because you, you don't just start surfing and you know, go straight there. It's probably people that you've seen, known about, competed against since you were starting to compete. Probably at the same waves. And a lot of the waves are shit. The sponsors pick the timing of the events and they want to do it on the busy weekends, all that. They pick the venues or they have to at least align with the venue. And so you can end up with some bad waves against people that you already know. And then you, if you don't make it, you could just wait a, another full year to even get a shot at the Challenger Series. Whereas in the old system, you could just look at, the last year they ran, they had 57 men's events and I think close to 40 women's events. You could just look at this buffet of events, and as long as you had a decent seed, pick the ones that you thought you'd do best at, pick the ones that you thought would suit your surfing. They had, they had events everywhere from Pipe to Cloud9 to just crazy venues. And so you just cherry pick your way through where you actually want to go, where you actually think you could surf good, 
get better waves and it was kind of a choose your own adventure tour and you were serving at a global level the whole time you were never just against these same people you go somewhere see the level of surfing in brazil see the level of surfing in australia see the level of surfing in europe like you would get to see this real global mix and now it's so isolated that it can kind of be a bummer some regions have very few events which is even worse like imagine you're super horny to get on the cs you live in hawaii you get two events to prove you belong there. Anybody can have two bad events. That's fucked. Um, and obviously a surfer in that case could decide to go compete in a different region, but then the whole travel cost thing that they're trying to avoid is all of a sudden out of the equation because you have to then go spend to get to the other region. A few servers also flagged the fact that now like those travel costs don't go away. You just spend money to do the regional ones. And if you're lucky, you make it to the CS and you spend more money to go to those. So it's not like it just saved you money. It just like, I guess, saved you money in the early stages, which like only the psychopaths did every QS event. Like some people just dabble toe in like the nearest one. So Hey, a future WSL CEO did all the QS events. Jaddy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jaddy never missed one. 12 straight years, never missed a QS. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Actually, we'll get here because... I'll call it out now, actually. I was talking to Matt Myers to get some info for this story. Matt is a great coach. He is a former competitor on that series. And now he's helping people get to... He's qualified a lot of people for the CT. It's fucking incredible the work he's doing. But right now there's a 1,000 in Santa Cruz at Steamer Lane. And Kolohe is there. Four days after having another kid just... And apparently all he's talking about is how much he loves the QS. Like... I think I heard that he's talking already about going to the the one in Florida, which is like spring break, Florida. He just loves the vibe there. He loves competing against kids. Like just apparently he's in love with that with that tour, which I think is the coolest thing just ever. Just smashing children's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like imagine just the vibe there, just like kids kind of trying to figure it out, just like waking up at 6 a.m. to grind out like shit waves. Like I think he's just really drawn to that, which is so cool. Okay. So I am now going to play the devil's advocate. And in this case, the devil just so happens to be the WSL. I think that first and foremost, this new system is so much better. I think it's better for viewers. Like we now actually understand what the fuck is going on and what the relative value and meaning of each event is, specifically just by the delineation between QS and CS. Um, I think that y you are allowing now different people in regions that maybe couldn't have afforded to get around the world and compete on the WQS to actually have a chance. Um, I also think like when you talk about the waves that used to be on the, the WQS that you could theoretically use to qualify, none of those events at Good Waves had high point totals. The P-Pass event, the Pipe event, like all the NIAS, all these events have always been lower tiered. For whatever reason, it's like hard to get enough sponsorship to get those points values up. So it's not like these surfers who are really good in really good waves were really qualifying through those events per se. Um, I also think that in the end, the cream is always going to rise. So, you know, if you look at the rookie classes that we've had in the last three years, including the one that's graduating this year, they're the best classes that we've had in a really long time. And I think that you could attribute some of that to the new three-tier system that we have. And also the camaraderie that we're now seeing from the different regions, like the fact what 2% did this year, all those kids from California and Eli Hanneman and whatnot. Like, I don't think that would have happened without a regionalized tour. And also, I just always think that no matter what the QS is or the CS is or whatever, you're always going to have more losers than winners. And therefore, you're always going to have people who have complaints. 
you know, ways that things could be better. But in the end of the day, the WSL has made a massive improvement to this whole system. And I get that in individual cases, it might seem a little bit off or unfair. I think the one really good argument, though, is that certain regions do not have enough events to qualify people to the CS. You look at Hawaii, I think South Africa, they both have two events. And in two events, anything can happen. I don't think that is enough time to let the cream rise. So that's, I think, the one really valid argument in this whole thing is they need to have at least four events in each region. Mm. Well, the other problem is on the on the CS and the CT, all events have the same point total. There's no staging of it. There's no, like, in this you still have 1,000, 3,000, 5,000. And that exists for a reason. It exists because not everybody can get into a 5,000, so you have to let people have, like, realistically, not everybody I heard can even get into some of the 1,000s at better spots. So you have to start at, like, the shittier 1,000s and then work your way up, like, do decent in there to get a seed into, like, the better 1,000 to get into three, to get into five. And so as a result, like, that, it makes sense to have that system for that purpose, but as a result of that, you could be so consistent. The event point totals aren't related to the waves at all. It's just about sponsorship money, essentially. And so as a result, you could be super consistent all year, and just because the events were called 1,000s, not 5,000s or 3,000s, Somebody could win one five thousand, just turn on for an event and smoke you. Um, that's not cool either. So, look, like I said, I still think it's a better thing. I still think it's a better system, but at the same time, I just hadn't really heard any argument against it. And when I started hearing it, I was like, okay, there's something here. And I will push back on your point about the point totals at other events. Like, yeah, some of the more exotic events didn't have the highest point totals, but I would say traveling to, let's just say, Cloud9 for an event is going to help a developing surfer way more than going to the same venues they've already seen 10 times. Like, even if they get a decent result or they don't, just competing at a new wave, and surely they're going to be free surfing at a bunch, they're going to be seeing new people. I just think that's going to mean so much more in, like, the development of a young surfer than just point i think you have to look at more than point totals there it gave them an excuse to go surf different waves with different people and expose themselves to the new things which i think helps a lot so i don't think it just comes down to point total i think it also is just you just took the way like nobody's just gonna plan a random trip there because they have to focus on this thing so it's weird one more point against it too it's not as consistent as the ct or cs like there's no real season because it's still so it's the lowest level of surfing so there will be like five month gap between events there will be like in north america the season ends and like four days later the new season begins and then there's like a five month gap so it's just these weird things it's tough to get in a rhythm at the end of the day like you said the cream is going to rise to the top but there's a decent argument against it man i i didn't know of it before this before having these conversations the people i talked to seem pretty 50 50 uh, a lot of people still think it's better, but some people don't, and I heard them out, Mikey. All right, well, go give it a read on the site. You can decide for yourself, and yeah, let us know in the comments section which side you're on. Buck and I will get in there and throw some punches as well. Eight surf comp jobs that don't suck. This title is a lie. Some of these jobs definitely suck. Well, you know what? This is for all the QS surfers who think that doing the QS is not fun. You can just do these jobs instead. Paul Evans is a liar. This <laughs> live camera operator, which even says this is a pretty tough gig, that's hell. That's hell. 
Yeah, but well, first of all, I, I wrote this title. That wasn't Paul's title, so you can blame me for that. But also, think about the live camera operator. Events have four days of running, typically, in like a two-week period. That means that you uh, have yeah. like 10 days where you can go and fucking surf all you want. All right. No, good point. Good point. Got me there. Got me there. <clears throat> but I know you said you wrote the title. I do think privileged Paul over here is writing it from his perspective in the booth. <laughs> Air conditioning. Air conditioning food. Paul up there in his little whatever sponsor of the event <laughs> shirt they put him in. <laughs> I actually think this is a really nice compliment to Paul's cheap surfers piece last week. Like it's the next logical progression. If you don't want to pay for your surf trips that you just get a job working for the WSL doing like odd jobs around an event, you get to be as close to the action as possible and prefer you maybe even get paid pretty well to go. And then you have these down days where you get to surf a bunch. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I was talking recently to somebody about it. It's like, all right, the the CT is one thing, but the CT is like, how long can you really stay there, especially now at the mid-year cut? If you're there, you're going to make some money. Like, you're pocketing money even if you're not doing well. The CS is hard. Like, even I remember Cole Hausman told us this year after he won an event in Australia, got 20K, tax took half of it. Between just existing there for a month, he's spending a good bit. He's pocketing not much, right? Compare that to Paul Evans. Paul's got his flight paid for, his accommodation paid for, his food paid for, and his guaranteed day rate. <laughs> I mean, that that goes for a lot of the people on this list. Like you said, live camera operator, which I was like, that job sucks. And you're like, no, it doesn't. You like, they fly you, well, not to J-Bay anymore, <laughs> but in my head, for some reason, I went J-Bay. I was like, dude, they fly you to J-Bay and you get like 10 days off in the middle of it. And when it's not, you're like filming J-Bay and that's sick. But, uh... Okay, no, no. Jordy's going to be mad at me for this one. They fly you now to El Salvador. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Slapped. (laughs) I'm getting slapped for that. (laughs) They fly you to El Salvador and you get 10 days off. Uh, But seriously, so Paul breaks down a bunch of different jobs that go on around a comp site. It's not necessarily WSL specific, but obviously that's kind of like his primary experience. But he paints a pretty good picture of what the jobs are and... Buck, in the version that you're seeing, um, it doesn't have the salary ranges or whatever. But we're going to try to include those in the site piece so people get a sense of the financial situation of all those as well. But just after hearing all, you know, like judges, commentators, camera people, IT people, like, is there a job here that stood out to you that's like, that's the one that I'd want? Uh, like I said, privileged Paul as air conditioner. I I like that a lot, but at the same time... I don't know anything about IT, and I think nobody really knows anything about IT, and I think as a result, you could just make up how bit like everybody's just like IT. I have nobody knows. Like you're just you are in the nerd thing, and like Paul even says, just quietly, this may well be the best surf comp gig of them all, and I mean he might not like it's just like somebody you know when you're doing a task if you're just working and like the person that's paying you for it clearly knows nothing about it. So they're just like, Oh, just do the thing. And you're like, all right, like that is, I think every IT person. <laughs> so it's either they have a really hard job and are getting pissed off while we're saying this. No, they, they get paid so that we don't have to think about things. That's pretty much how it works. <laughs> yeah. He makes fun of himself in here for like sending an angry message to WhatsApp group saying the scores are down. Then somebody just turning the remote on the TV and be like, dude, dumb fuck. Just turn it on. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'd go, I'd go IT judges. 
kind of hard and it just i guess you have the like it's easier it sucks if you're hated as an individual and because judges are a pack like if you're a head judge that's hard like you're an individual attached to it but like when you're a pack like i think you even when everybody's yelling at you you're like oh well it's all of the judges you know it's not just me nobody nobody's mad at just me so i don't know i'm gonna go it guy what about you? I got to tell you, I've really felt that VIP doorman job calling me. Like, just sitting there with my little clipboard and my list. Oh, uh, you'd be fucking staunch. Yeah, and it just, like, you know, being a I've, I've been I've been a judge. Being a judge is not all that fun, I would say. Um, but the, the VIP doorman, like, there's just something about it. Just that all that power in your little clipboard <laughs> <laughs> over such a silly thing, I just think it would be too much fun. Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. I just wonder, like... It probably depends, but I do think that for some of those things, they hire, like, local security companies. Like, they're flying a camera crew around, right? So that's one thing. Like, they're you definitely got your accommodation booked, all that, dinner's out, the whole... You're having a good time on the 75% of the days where it's not running. Whereas that, I think they, they kind of just locally source a lot of that. Probably not in the CT level, but I think a lot of a lot of the regional ones, it's like local security, and so it's not as glamorous. You know, you're sleeping in your own bed just because you live there. But do you think they've ever like? I mean, at that point, if you're if you're hiring local, do you think like Kelly Slater's ever been asked for a, an ID badge or a you know a, a VIP pass? You know, because that would just be. I think on the CT level, they have like I know they had that guy Woody for a while who unfortunately passed away, but yeah, I, I think. I would have to think at some point Kelly had an awkward interaction like that. <laughs> that would be good. All right. Well, we've got a voice note from Paul about an incident that involved one of his peers, somebody you may or may not have heard on this podcast, who had an encounter of his own with one of these VIP doormen. Oh, wow. What, what I didn't do is draw too much on, on personal anecdotes and, and sort of betray some friendships because I, I, I thought that would be unprofessional. So I was pretty careful in this particularly when it comes to the VIP, not to mention the time at the Challenger Series event in 2022 in Eresira, Portugal, when Ben Mundy was booted out of the VIP area. Uh, sorry, he was told to put his ice cream back in the freezer by the guy that runs the VIP, to which, first of all, Mundy thought was a joke, and was like, oh, oh yeah, you're good, Uncle Zala, you're kidding, are you? Uh, no, Ben, really, you have to put it back. Um, and he, yeah, he was told told to put his ice cream back. And um, according to eyewitnesses, uh, he was sort of pointing in a sort of foul mouth tirade. He was pointing at sort of toddlers, a bit like the, when you see toddlers in business class, going, "Hey, come here, fucking allowed in here." Um, and was basically, yeah, sort of led away down the stairs, sort of swearing and incandescent with rage. I've been working fucking hard all day. Had to put his ice cream back. Anyway, I didn't mention that story because uh, that would be unprofessional. But um, yeah, hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoy the uh, story and, and good luck finding the right career for you. All right, what else we got, Mikey? Well, tell me the Vans Pipe Masters profiles. They keep on coming. 
We got this week, we got Ando Santos and Taichi Wakita. Ooh. He's from Japan. And um, it's really funny. Well, in my mind, this would have just been amazing. But Taichi does his whole thing in Japanese. But he's also grown up a large portion of his life in Hawaii. So he speaks perfect English. So I just, I wish at the very end of his thing where he just did it all in Japanese, he was just like, oh, yeah, by the way, I speak English too. How <laughs> <Power> move. <laughs> like, you're just reading subtitles this whole time. Um, anyway, Vance Pipe Masters. Remember that starting in three weeks, wow. December 8th is the beginning of that waiting period. So we're getting really, really close. Is he allowed to sit the main pipe brief or does he have to go to keep his name, his family name? Like, is he allowed to, where where can he sit? I'm not sure. Yeah, he, I think he like can maybe push to like back door, but that's the limit. Like he's not getting to the pipe side of back door. That's for sure. All right, that's fair. Okay, so Vans also just dropped a team clip from Hawaii. Kind of, uh, it's a recap of last year, but it gets us excited for what's to come this year. We also have an Eli Bukes clip on the site, a Holly Wan clip. Julian Wilson dropped an edit where he sort of breaks down how he's been feeling post-retirement. So that's a really good watch if you're curious about what Julian's been up to. Um, we also have a Mad Max McQuiggan profile by Jed Smith and so much more all happening on the site right now. Wow, get there. Get there, everybody. And maybe a Billy Kemper interview, depending. I saw that. He demanded it. <laughs> per per <laughs> Billy's request. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. And yes, since we've recorded this, the Billy interview did happen, and it is now live on the site. It's one of the more interesting interviews I've done in a really long time, so I recommend you go give it a read. And also, since we recorded, uh, there's been an update on the Tahiti Olympic situation. The Olympic Committee decided to shrink the Chopu judging tower, thinking that that would appease the locals, but that is not the case. We have an update on the site and more to come. Also, there's a new wave pool in Brazil. There was a wave pool contest in Korea that snowed. Um, yeah, so it has actually been a huge week in surfing. Get on the site, get amongst it, but most importantly, go surf. And until next week, over and out.